welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is NJCA Division II National Champion LSU Eunice head coach Jeff Willis. Coach Willis has done a remarkable job with LSU Eunice program. They're now tied for most national championships in one sport at the junior college level with seven. Eunice had a phenomenal year going 51-17. and 17. They had a juggernaut offense in 2021, scoring almost 400 more runs than their opponents. In this episode, we break down Eunice's national championship run, their coaching staff, people development, practice planning, wreaking havoc on offense, ideas to keep pushing junior college baseball forward, and his biggest key to keeping the edge to his program. Let's welcome Coach Willis to the podcast. Here with Jeff Willis, now seven-time national champ, um, tied for the NJCA record for national championships in one sport, uh, ABCA ATEC Coach of the Year, former Skip Burtman Award winner. Um, we go way back. Actually, you're my first uh, multi-guest, so you're my first one I've done two episodes with now, so you're out in front on, on that too. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you having me, man. I appreciate what you do, what the ABCA does for for our coaches and our game, and um, it's just a, a you know just great to be a part of a, a, a fraternity of coaches that that understand why our game is here and what it's for, and um, you know to, to to instill the discipline and all the things that athletics does in the young people. But we just got great leadership within the ABCA, and you guys are a part of that. I had such a good time with you and your staff in Enid. Um, that was enjoyable for me to be able to spend time for with you guys. Have you had a chance to reflect? Uh, Fifty-one and seven record, win a wild championship game in fourteen innings. Have you had a chance to to process any of that yet? Well, I think you know each, each summer, you know, it's always a time that you go back and you evaluate everything from the very, very beginning of the fall um, because you get a little bit of downtime and. You want to be able to take that, you know, fr from a bird's eye view and then really start to really kind of focus down on it with an eagle's eye view um, and, and be able to say this is what we did well and what we didn't do well. And we're still in the process of that. You know, my goal each year is to kind of be done with that by the end of July um, and then be able to, to, to spend a couple of weeks before our next next group of players actually report to put some things in motion. But, you know, I'll tell you what, our, our assistant coaches are, are the backbone and the and the blood of our program. And, and, you know, I've been very, very lucky to have a core group of guys that have been with me for a long time. And, you know, it starts with our recruiting coordinator, pitching coach, Alan Orgate, who's been here. I think he's been here 14, 15 years now. Um, I lose track of time every once in a while, but, but I tell you what, what he brings to the table and how he recruits and, and, and what he does with our pitching staffs in, in developing them, not just on the mound, but as people. Um, I mean, you just can't find a better guy than what he is and what he brings um, to our club. Um, and then you go to our hitting coach, Roberto Vaz, and, and, you know, been around baseball a long time. A lot of people know the name and, you know, he was a, you know, played in the SEC, you know, was a golden spikes finalist, played pro ball for a while. Um, very, very lucky. He's with with us with his second stint. So I think he's been with us for a total through two different stints of seven years and, and just with him and, and where he's been and, 
you know, he's on one of those all junior college teams that there's 12 members. And I think Kirby Puggett's an outfielder. He's one of the outfielders and, you know, Pettit and Clemens are on that team as well. And, you know, so he's over here and, and been a very, very joy to be around our kids and, and just his personality and how he relates to the kids and, and where he's been, you know, all our entire coaching staff has played in junior college. And I think that because when you step into junior college and, and you don't always have the, the, the nicest facilities, you don't have the nicest stuff. And, and uh, when, when you have to, to grow up and continue to grind away and you've been at that level and played at that level, and then you can, you continue to see the progression of these student athletes from that junior college into that four-year level whether it's an NAI school, Division II, Division I, NCAA institution, or in, even in the – you just see that huge, you know, trip, you know, progression that takes place with them. So very lucky with those. Paige Hodges was, was a player. He was on our first national championship team. Um, he's key for us because he's been in our players' shoes. He's been in our player. He's lived, he's lived on our campus. He's been in our locker room. He can bring a lot to the table because he's, he's literally been in their shoes – in front of me on one knee when I'm talking to our team and and he can relate a lot of things to our players. And then this past year, we're very lucky to bring in a, a volunteer in Michael Poole and um, very, brought a different dimension to us because, you know, we're, we're not into this old school way or this new way. We want to get into the best way of, of presenting information to our players. And he just brought a lot of analytics to us and was just a guy that we were able to lean on, into um, and learn from as well. So we're very, very happy that he was a part of us. But again, our assistant coaches, man, are, are, are everything, you know, I'd, you may have seen it, you know, with, with what you were talking about earlier, coach of year awards, things like that. that that's not an individual award. You know, that, that should be a coaching staff award um, because there's no head coach that's ever done anything with a whole support cast of assistants, players, managers, trainers, everybody, administrators, faculty, staff, you know, all those people play a huge role in the success of, of your program um, and I think that, that that is very deserving for your whole enterprise, not just for one individual. Yeah, and, and Enid, when I was at your guys' practice day, I was excited to, to talk to Roberto just because I was at the 1997 College World Series when he broke his leg and he's he's hobbling up to home plate to get the, the bats. He's doing the bat boy for Alabama at that point and was, was almost National Player of the Year. And that stuck out to me more than anything. And Alan and I have known for a while too. And they, they really have been kind of solidified – your guys winning tradition because they've been with you for a long time. And, you know, how, how much easier does that make your job? Because you know, you can trust those guys and what they do. Well, I think when you, when you get a rapport with your coaches, um, you, there, there doesn't have to be a lot of meetings, you know, everyone really knows what needs to take place. And um, on the other side, I'm always excited when I do get a new coach in because there's fresh energy there, there's fresh ideas. And I've never been somebody that says that we've always we're never going to be, ever say this is the way we've always done it. We will change something this fall that we did this past year and we came off of, of, of winning a national championship. I think there's always progression that needs to take place and we always got to move in that positive direction. But again, you know, that camaraderie, that togetherness, that family, I, we're family. You know, we've been around each other. You know, our roughly our kids are all the same age. Um, and it's just, I, it's very humbling to me for, for to look at our assistant coaches and look at them and say, they've been with us that amount of time. Um, because that's, that's kind of unheard of. You don't, you don't see that a lot of times. And, and those individuals have turned down opportunities um, and they've turned down opportunities that not many people would turn down. Um, and if people actually knew that those are opportunities that they did not take because they see the value in what we bring um, and they understand that each year we, we, we should have a chance as long as we continue to work hard and recruit well, um, of, of possibly winning the last game of the year. And so I tell you, it's a humbling for me as a head coach to know that those guys want to be in our locker room, want to be in our coaches' offices, and, and want to do what we're continuing to do with these young people. Have you always evaluated the year? Did you start that right away when you, when you got the head coaching job? Have you evaluated the year in, in June and July? I have, you know, and, and that's coming from, you know, yeah, I think that's coming from, you know, not necessarily, I don't know if the word corporate is the word, but it is a, is a corporate type of mindset in my eyes that I want to see what our organization is doing. And if, you know, there's some business aspects of, of any organization, you don't, I mean, you don't want to say you're running a college baseball program and it's business, you know, we're, we're playing a game. We've got to understand we're playing a game and you go to play a game to have fun. You go to play the game to compete and get after it. 
Uh, but on the other side of it, we've got to be able to take it. We've got to be able to evaluate it and say, here, here's what was good, but but here's what was bad. Um, and I've always been someone that says at the end of the year, when I do my exit meeting, um, I will start with the older, older, older players, um, the guys that are leaving us, that are sophomores. And, and I want to hear what their suggestions are because they've been here. They've seen everything. They've been here for, for two years with COVID now, some of them three years, and they can provide some valuable insight of, of how, hey, how can we do things better? And, and a lot of them are, when they hear that question, I, I want to know how we can do things better because there's going to be another group behind you. And our goal is to be the best we can. And if we're not willing to take constructive criticism from our own family, meaning our players and our coaches and everything, then, then as coaches, we're really not, um, we're telling our players to take constructive criticism. So as a coach, how do we don't take that from people that have been in our program? Maybe you don't take that from the player that's been here two weeks you know, or, or a month, but, but a player that's been around that amount of time um, that, hey, that you're probably going to go to their wedding and, and you know, they're going to invite you and you're going to be a part of their, their life for the rest of you know, their lives and your life. I think you've got to be able to take that. And, and those conversations are good. And, and I, I try to pull things out of them. You know, because a lot of times they don't want to. No, no, I, 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 you're not going to hurt my feelings with what you're going to tell me. My goal is to make it better, and I've got to be able to hear the truth from you all. So that's stuff that I started when I started here. This coming year will be my 20th year. So 19 years ago, with that first group, when I was, I got the job when I was 24, but I was 25 when I had that first conversation, and some of those kids were 22, um, and that was that was really tough to hear. You know, coming from. You know, you know, someone that's roughly your same age um, and you're trying to get that age apart from one another. Um, but I don't think anybody can be the best they can be without being able to, to hear some honesty. I mean, looking now, what do you feel like you need to do better from last year? I mean, you only lost two games in a row one time all year. What do you feel like you need to do better for next year? Well, I, I think I think there's several things from from just the fall standpoint. You know, this past year with COVID, we didn't play outside competition. And I was very leery of that at the very, very beginning of, hey, we're, we're going to be beating up on one, one another and we're not going to play other, you know, junior college, we can play, used to be 20 contests. Now I think they've dropped it down to 14 um, in the fall. But, but it was something where you wanted to play someone else just to see and put your best out there against someone else instead of be split up in the inner squad. Well, this past year with COVID, with the way we ran the fall, of inter-squatting just amongst we, – we got more reps for the players um, through it. Um, we were more because we didn't travel. And so I know we're going to have a hybrid approach this coming because we will play fall competition, outside competition um, here, here in a couple of months. But we've backed off on how many of those dates that we're going to play because we saw a lot of value in that. And we also saw some value of letting, the, letting some players off on some weekends – you know, and, and letting them go and do some things as a college student or go catch a football game at LSU or, or UL Lafayette or McNeese or these Division One schools that are around us, let them go and do those things, whereas we were just playing games Saturdays and those kids didn't get to go experience those those types of events. So I think that that's something we learned, and I, I saw more energy from our players and just more – it wasn't just the mundane of we're practicing playing outside competition on a Saturday, Sunday's your day off, and Monday this thing all starts over. It just gave them a little more rest, and and and, and they showed up with more energy Monday. Do you feel like that's why you're sending guys to those places because you are so close to them? I mean, you have good players. You do. You have really good players. But does that make it more comfortable for those guys to decide to go to those places? Well, I, I think, you know, for, for one thing, the brunt of our roster is kind of, we always call it the I-10 corridor, which is Interstate 10 in South Louisiana. The brunt of our team comes from that, and then it starts to branch off of that into the northern part of the state, southeast Texas. Um, we have uh, several Canadians on our team, and usually we have a couple of, you know, northern part of the, the U.S. kids as well. Um, but but just, you know, those kids grew up in this neck of the woods. So, you know, it's, it's important for us to get them and develop them um, because maybe they were lacking something to get to that level, or maybe they weren't, and they saw the benefit of just playing time right away and not, to, not with, especially with COVID, to be able to compete against someone that's a 23-year-old, fifth, six-year senior now um, as well. And so um, I, I think, you know, I don't know what, what it is other than, you know, the kids maybe grew up in this neck of the woods, 
um, and they know those schools. But again, you know, those four-year schools are you know across the SEC, Big 12, Southland Conference, Sunbelt Conference, you know, Conference USA and the American Conference. Those schools are always in here recruiting our guys. What was the strength of your team? I mean, you scored almost four times mm -hmm. as many runs, almost 400 more runs than your opponent. Was the offense really the strength of your team this year? I mean, I know you fielded the ball well, you pitched it well, but was the offense your strength? Yeah, the, I, the offense was our strength during the regular season. Um, during the regular season, it carried everything. I mean, it was something that, you know, we, we would spin the game out of the control and, and, and maybe not just one time in a game, maybe we did it twice. Um, but and our defense carried us as well. I mean, we, we had, you know, I think we filled it at the highest percentage we'd ever filled it at. Um, but we didn't play very good defense in the playoffs. Um, I mean, that, that fielding percentage is way higher than that. Um, but we probably led any team that we played in errors throughout the throughout the playoffs. And a lot of times you got to say you better play defense. But in the playoffs, our pitching staff really, you know, stepped up to the plate. And you know, we had some guys step up to the plate that that you know we 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 changed some things up when we went to the we knew who was going to start game one for us. Um, Jerry Couch was going to go out there. He'd been that number one time. But when we got to game two, three, four, and even five, we, it, it was kind of a toss-up. And, and, you know, our coaches got together. Alan Oregon, our pitching coach, you know, came up with a plan of action of how to do it. And, and uh, you know, we, we started a guy in the second game of a regional tournament that I don't – it may have been five or six weeks before that when the, was the last start he had. And, you know, he had pitched in some, you know, one-inning stints, two-inning stints, um, but we rolled him out there and he pitched well. And then game three of the regional, we rolled another guy out that hadn't started a game in, in about that amount of time as well. And and so – Was that a matchup uh, thing? Was that because you felt like those uh, guys were going to match up no, better? No, it wasn't really a matchup thing. It was just just looking – I'm a big, big body – body language reader. Um, and I, I'm, if you watch me at practice, um, I'll, I'll say things to players when they, when it needs to be said, but I always like to, to really stand back and really watch the body language of individuals because as the head coach, I feel like it's my responsibility to figure out who to put in the game um, at the right time. And you've got to know with, if they're confident or if they're not confident. And so I've spent a lot of time, you know, and I'm still trying to learn more about reading the body language, but I've spent a lot of time on, on doing that just because I want to see when a guy comes out of the cage in batting practice, I can tell a lot of times just by his body language and really little sub, subtle subtle movements in the body of this is kind of what he's thinking and how he's feeling, whether, whether he's confident or not, or is he about 50-50. Um, and we just saw those, those couple of pitchers that all of a sudden started walking around a little different. They started walking around a little different. I mean, just the smallest things of in an inner squad or in a bullpen setting, how are they catching the ball coming back from the catcher? Those are little things that, that a lot of people don't, you know, is 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 this happening? You know, are, are they backing up on it? Or, or, or is there a little bit of firmness and a little bit of snap when they go to catch the ball? I mean, th those are all little things that you can kind of pick up on to see if someone's confident versus not. And so it had a lot to do with, with, with the, mo the, the momentum that those kids had in their bullpens and the inner squads and really the body language that they displayed that we thought, hey, these guys are going to do very, very well and not be – the moment will be bigger than what it is for them. That 14-inning game, how did you piece that together on the back end? Yeah, that was something that we didn't, we didn't draw it up the way it happened. I mean, it, it was something, you know, what, what we thought was we were going we to start McGivney on the mound and – and we, we thought it was his second start. He was pitching, I think, on four days rest. Um, and 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 he he didn't throw a lot of pitches in this first outing, so we felt very, very good about that. Um, but what the idea was, we were going to turn it over to, to a matchup left-hander that we, we get strikes out of. All three pitches for strikes. Um, Andrew Schock, Austin Andrew Schock is going to Butler next year. Um, and, and, you know, just threw strikes for us and soft throwing lefty, great movement. He's, he gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of pop-ups, weak contact. And, and we thought, you know, if we can get four out of McGivney, maybe five, turn it over to, to shock. And if he gives us a couple in that, we can turn it over to our closer who, who is, who has been built to throw more than a one, two innings. It's a big kid. Um, I saw him in Enid. He's a, a large physical human being. Yeah. Yeah. His dad played, you know, I mean, he's, He's six four, you know, two fifty, and he's built like a rock, you know. And, and he works extremely hard on his body. 
um, physically very, very strong. His dad was a, was a lineman in the NFL. Um, and so you, you've got a pedigree there with a level of toughness. And, and he's just, you know, Jake Hammond is cool, calm, and collected. He, he never ne- – you would have never seen him get out of his element. You know, it didn't matter what was going on on the outside or the noise that would, was going on. He was able to kind of stay in his element and stay within himself. And so that was the idea, turning it over. And so we got in a situation where we have a, a, a outfield blunder and they get a couple of runs to make it three to two. And and next thing you know, they, the guy that slid into home, the, the home plate turf came up. So there was about a 15 minute pause with us, with our players just standing out on the field with McGinney who had given up, I don't know, one or two hits before then. And so it was, okay, here's our time. Let's, let's not, let's, let's go to the pen right now. You know, and we're in the fifth inning, you know, let's go to the pen right now. Shot comes in one, you know, gets an out. And then the next thing you know, they get a couple of hits, they tie the game and then they've got some guys on base. And then it's like, well, let's go to the closer right now. Little did we know we were going 14 innings. And so the idea was if, if we brought our closer in and it's a tie game, then, then we scratch one run we scratch one run and, and we know a closing situation is not always in the ninth inning or the eighth inning. It, it could be in the fourth or fifth inning and, and it's just stop the momentum and don't, don't thing get away from you. And so um, Jake was able to keep us there. And then, then he gives up a two run or not a two run, a, a two out home run in the bottom of the eighth and they take the lead and we only got three outs left. And, you know, that that's, I always call that a widow maker. A lot of times when a team takes the lead and you only have three outs left, teams usually don't come back from that. And uh, they got two quick outs in the ninth, up by a run, and, and we work a walk. You know, we, we always talk about how a walk can just is, can be as, just as special as a base hit. And so we work a tough, tough at-bat walk, um, and then we get a single to right, we go first to third, and then they get two, two, two strikes on our uh, Jared McDonald kid to go into Dallas Baptist next year. And, he was an All-American for us, um, and they get two strikes on him. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but the game before, he had dove for a ball in left field and actually hurt his thumb, fractured his thumb. And uh, his BP was awful on the championship day. I mean, it was awful. Um, Roberto Vaz came to me and said, I don't know if he needs to hit if the game's on the line. And so we had a conversation, and we came up with the idea that he's going to hit. You know, the kid wants to play, and he's hurt. We're going to let him play. He's been here for three years. He's, you know, he's got, he's an all American. He's going to a team that you know, we didn't know if Dallas Baptist was going to be in a super regional, but we knew that's a top 25 team. You know, we knew that he deserved to have something good happen. And as he's walking to the dish, a lot of things are kind of going through my mind of this. We talked about this before the game. If the game was on the line, were we going to let him hit? And so I actually turn around to the lineup card to start to look like, who would I go with right now? Um, with it. And then I turned right back around and said, no, no, no. It was talked about, we're going to let the chips fall where they fall. And uh, he gets down in the count and the swings aren't very good. And it's left on left too. And guy that, that they've got on the mound is, you know, he's, he's 90, 92 from the left side and he's got a good breaking ball. So it's not that good of a matchup. And, and Jarrett doesn't hit left-handers well. Um, you know, so he gets two strikes. So my idea is, are we going to start the guy at first base try to create some motion, maybe still a run. Maybe he, he, he has soft contact and it rolls through the infield, whatever it may be. And so I put the sign on for, for, for to move the guy and I actually take it off. Um, and, and it was going to be an early break. So that the pitch would have, wouldn't have gotten to the dish. And, and I took it off and the next pitch, he rolls one through the right side and we tie, tie the game up. So just little, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could have happened where, if you make a decision as a coach to pinch hit there, do, 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 does that happen? Do, if, I, if I go with the sign, I don't pull it off, what happens? Um, and then in the, in the extra innings, we pitched out of a ton of trouble. But again, I will tell you, our team continued to come in the dugout over and over and over again. And, and the, they were talking. It wasn't me. It wasn't our coaching staff. They were saying, just outlast them. Just outlast them. At some point, they're going to break. And they broke Phenomenal. And you talked about Dallas Baptist and let's talk about Rivertown a little bit. You know, I followed him all spring. I knew he played for you and um, had got an opportunity here with professional baseball. And then obviously Javier Vaz. I mean, you've sent so many guys to the next level. 
I know how special, you know, River is to you and what he meant to your guys' program. Talk about him a little bit. Well, I tell you, I mean, I got two daughters and hope my daughters meet somebody like like Rivertown. I mean, just a you know, tremendous baseball player, but even a better person. And, you know, just just like a quiet assassin, you know, someone that just very, very quiet, but when he would speak, people would listen. Um, led by example, um, played extremely hard. Um I, I, you know, he's going to, he's going to make his way, you know, he can really, really hit the, the bat plays and I've seen him hit all kinds of different pitching. You know, there's always a question mark. Is a guy going to hit at the next level from the junior college level? But we saw him turn around all kinds of pitching, whether it was velocity, whether it was left on left, um, whether it was the soft throwing guy, he, he was able to make all those adjustments in it. And, uh, you know, just to see him, you know, continue to, to get better this past year and then to get his dream, you know, on draft day when his name gets called. I mean, you, you live for those moments as a coach when those kids get the experience, what they've always dreamed of and what they've worked so hard for. And so, you know, hats off to River. And, and again, you know, hope my daughters meet somebody like him. I mean, there's not to me too many kids that, that, that are like him. Yeah. And I was at the super, so I, I was at the Vandy East Carolina super that Friday night and, and, and Javier did an unbelievable job in that game. He kind of carried them a little bit offensively down the stretch. And I know he didn't get an opportunity to play a whole lot early, but kind of worked himself into the lineup and Roberto was there. It was fun to see Roberto at the game just cause he's like, I get to be a dad finally. And I'm like, you holding up all right? He's like, no, I'm having a good time. I'm like, I don't know if, if I'd, I wouldn't handle it very well if I was in your shoes right now watching Jackson play in the Supers. Yeah, I mean, Javier, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a testament to people when you've got to work while you wait, you know, and he wasn't in the lineup throughout the, the, the year, and then he got an opportunity in the SEC tournament. And, and if you would have watched him and watched his demeanor and watched his body language, you would have never thought – um, but we're big on – we talk to our players about, you know, and, and him and I talked throughout the entire season, and, and, and you've, you've got to be ready when your name is called. And if you're sulking on the bench, if you're, if you're you know, wishing that the guy in front of you doesn't play well so you get your shot, do you really deserve to win? Or how about this? Put your head down, grind away, work while you're waiting, and then when your name's called upon, because it will be at some point in time – what you're going to have working for you is you deserve to succeed. You deserve to do well because you've been a good teammate. You've rooted on your team. You've done all the little things. Um, and now at least you deserve to have something good happen. It may, may happen. It may not. But if you're over there sulking and you've got a bad attitude and your name gets called upon, do you really deserve to do well? Or if you're over there and you're wishing secretly that the guy fails so you get a shot and you finally get your shot, do you really deserve to do well then? So we talk about that all the time with our players. We don't ever expect them to be happy if they're not playing. I don't want any – nobody should ever be happy if they're not playing. They should strive to get on the field, but they've got to understand they need to root for their teammates. They need to put their head down, grind away, and work while they wait. And when their name gets called upon, it's going to happen. Here's the thing. In our championship series, we had two guys that went into our lineup that did not play in the regional and did not play in the World Series – and they played in the first game that we won in the championship series and the national championship game they played. They had not had a, an at-bat in I don't know however long. But, again, they had been good teammates. They were ready for the moment, and they deserved to have something good happen. How was your experience in Omaha? Had you been to Omaha before? I have. Yeah, I have. You know, I, I think it, it, it continues to get better. You know, the big question was what, how was it going to be in Omaha after a COVID year? And I didn't see any difference. You know, it, it was It was tremendous. Um, you know, the NCAA, you know, Rosenblatt, the, the committee in Omaha, you guys with the ABCA, you guys could just – everybody continues to, to, to push the game forward, and it's better and better and better. Um, Enid and has a little bit of that feel to it, too. I was really impressed with, with how things were run in Enid. I, I think it's got a little bit of that feel. The stadium's not as big, but they do a phenomenal job in Enid with the World Series, with your guys' World yeah, Series. Yeah, they, they do. I, I mean, they're not going to have the crowd that's sitting in Omaha or anything in like that regard, but it is. It, it, it's it's a, a town, and you've got a ballpark in the downtown area, and you've got the hotels that have gone up, the restaurants that have gone up around it. Um, and I've seen that thing transition in the last 10 years. And um, we're excited when we get to go play there. I mean, it's something that, you know, 2009 was our, was the first year they hosted and we went and it was a big thing for us to take the Mardi Gras beads and pass them out. And 
go around the restaurants and the businesses and, and welcome us, welcome them to the park if they didn't know the event was going on because it's our goal. We, we have tremendous culture in South Louisiana. We have tremendous food and people. And I know everybody says that wherever they live, but but I truly believe I live in one of the greatest parts of our country just with the people that are here. And and uh, anytime we get a chance to share our culture and our values and our food and and everything from Mardi Gras beads to to, to, to how we go about our day-to-day, it's our opportunity. And then you throw in some food that you may not know what it is, but might not get it any better than, than down here as well. Does your motivation change at all? I mean, you won seven national championships. Does your motivation change at all? It doesn't seem like it has, but does it change at all for you? No, I, I don't. I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking. I don't, I don't, I mean, after we win, I always move on to the next, next thing. And, and I think when, I will tell you this. I've, I've I've tried to tell younger coaches that I've that we coach against when we're taking batting practice that everybody is chasing these trophies and chasing these rings and, and doing all this and and I don't think act after you actually do it if you do it you're not going to feel any different. You're, you're not. You're going to be the same person and uh, and if you think you are going to feel different, it's going to be a huge letdown um, because you know, we all know that. I mean, you you can't trophies, rings, championships. I mean, you can't take that stuff with you when you're dead and gone, but the relationships that you build and how you do it and, and the things that you, you, you put together and the impact you have on young people. And then the impact those young people have on you. Um, I don't, I don't change. It's, it's the same thing from day one when the kids show up um, just because it's, it's not baseball is not the number one thing. It's, it's let's, let's pour our heart and our soul into these kids and, and we'll find out, and we, we have, we found out how successful our program is based on how those kids are when they become husbands, fathers, later on down, citizens, employees, employers. That's when we find out how good our, um, and that's our main goal. That's our main focus. And, and if that's the, the, the overall focus on what we're trying to do, baseball is going to fall in the mix of that. Um, but of all of a sudden, the teams that's put baseball in front of that, things may not go the way that they want to go. And so when you're able to, to take, I, I've even started sometimes telling a recruit that, you know, I don't really care that much about your baseball career. You know, and that's always a big wide opener. What, what do you mean? I'm only here to talk to you because of baseball. Um, and then I, I go on to share with them, I, I care more about you as an individual and how you're going to be, you know, 10 years from now when, when now you've got a son or a daughter and you're married and and you're a, you're a productive citizen, those are the things that I care about. So do I care about your, I do care about your baseball, your baseball career, because it's a part of that, but we're going to, we're going to see this a lot bigger than, than you as a baseball player. We're going to see you as a human being. And I heard a long time ago, do you treat people as human beings or as human doings? And I said, I think you should be able to treat people as human beings um, and be with them through the thick and the thin and the good and the bad, um, you know, and we just get to use baseball as a platform to be able to do that. You just tweeted this out the other day. People are successful. Do not waste time on drama, negative thoughts, or negative people because they are too busy doing positive things and, and what it takes to be successful. I mean, who, who's that message for? Well, I think that's that's for everybody. I agree. I, I completely agree I with think you. I think that, that, that's not a baseball-specific message. Um, that that's not a coaching message to players or to other coaches or that's to anybody it would read. And, and I think, you know, I, I was lucky enough early in my career to learn to not really care about negativity or drama or those types of things and really start to eliminate that kind of stuff, get it away from me, get it away out of my vocabulary, get it away from my mindset um, you know, I, I don't want to hear people's problems. I, I, I don't, I want to hear your solutions, you know, and if you've got a problem, let's, let's figure out a solution to that. Um, drama. I mean, all the things that you just mentioned, those are things that just tear, you know, families apart, organizations apart, businesses apart. And if people would just step back and eliminate it, just get rid of it. Or when it starts to come from them, them themselves, if they're able to, we'll stop it. Yeah. You self-correct. Know, and, yeah, self-corrected. Or if they have they have a, a circle of a group of friends that hey, are you listening to yourself right now? Maybe you need to check yourself because that's not helping you um, at all. And I, I think it's just a key to, to to being positive, being positive, and and understanding that there's going to be a lot of negative that's around you and, and eliminate that. What I mean, that's gossip too. 
I mean, that's gossip. That, that That's just rumor. Just get that stuff. I, I, I don't want to hear that. And I heard something yesterday that when, you know, which I'm going to start to, to put into own practice. Um, we, we, we had we had the president of LSU on our campus yesterday. I got to spend some time with him. New president just came in. Um, and, and he said that he made a he made a mention of when he hears someone give him information and they they think it's fact, he's going to try and triangulate that. And, and make sure that he he sees that and sees it from somebody else, not just from some one person. And I think when you're able to do that and pull that in, you're able to grow. You're able to grow and become a better version of yourself and, and really a better selfless version for yourself. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about that, how to win awareness, transfer blame. I mean, that all, that all goes into staying positive, eliminating negative. How do you cut somebody loose? Maybe and it might it might even be a family member. How do you cut somebody loose that that maybe if they aren't going to change their ways? Well, I think I think that is key because I think a lot of times when you actually have to do that, it's out of love. But because I mean, as coaches, we've all been in the, in the room where we had to had the com- tough conversation with the player whether they've done something wrong and you're having to release them. Um, I, I truly people deserve second chances. I mean, I, I'm a second chance guy. You're a second chance. All of us had second chances. Um, sometimes the second chance comes somewhere else. Um, and I'll help you get to that next place. But, but on the other side of that, when, when you have to release a player that, that you, that, that, Hey, you're not going to play here. You're not going to play here. And it, I would be doing you a, an injustice if I kept you here and just you suck, stuck you on the bench. When I think you're good enough to go to this school or this school, this school, um, and a lot of people see that as a that actually you're actually caring, not caring about that individual is just keep them on the bench and keep them in the program and bury them over there instead of saying no 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 we're going to have this tough conversation I care about you um, I, I'm going to make the phone calls for you I'm going to help you do these things um, but even even a family member I mean <clears throat> you get to a family member that that continues to make bad choices in their lives and and you're trying to lead them through those different areas. Sometimes you, I mean, we all heard you can lead the horse to water. You can't make them drink, but, but also you, you take that individual and if they're not willing to help themselves, how can you continue to help them? Um, or, or are you just, you know, helping them continue down the road? You're enabling, you're enabling them through, through those different areas. And so, you know, I think there's those times that those tough conversations have to happen. Um, and if you have to cut someone loose or even a family member, it, it's not, it's out of love, you know, if you truly love them, you know, and you care about them and, and that, that's tough to do when, when you're in it for the right reasons and you love your family member, if you go through something like that, or you love the players that are on your team. I mean, those are tough things, but, but again, I always tell our players, if you're in our program, you're, you're in our program for, for the rest of your life, you know, and I don't care if you're here one year, two years, three years, whatever it was, you're, you're part of us and we care about you. And I'm here for you a text away, a phone call away, anytime, any place. Do you feel like COVID brought the baseball community closer together? Well, I, I, yeah, I think in a sense that everybody wanted to find out what everybody else was doing. And so there was a lot more communication. And so when there's more communication, um, there, there is – anytime you have relationships, there's more communication, the relationship blossoms and it gets better. And I think you, you also saw some schools and some teams step back from things and say, you know what, we, we get to play baseball. And maybe we thought we may have some indifferences or whatever it may be, but we get to play baseball. And we get to play baseball. We need to respect our opponents. We need to respect the game. Um, we need. We don't need to have this all win at all costs. You know, because I've, I've played those teams that those the kids say whatever they want to say out of the dugout. They act just ridiculous. Um, and I didn't see as much of that this year. And I think it had everything to do with everybody started to realize that, hey, we're getting to play a game. We're going to compete. You know, we're in this arena and and somebody's winning, somebody's losing, somebody's going to get punched in the mouth, somebody's going to be the puncher. Um, But again, at the end of the day, you know, we didn't get to shake hands, but but at the end of the day, we get to shake hands and and say we got to play the game in the greatest country in the world. Yeah, I I thought it was beautiful. Just you saw it everywhere, trying to get games in, guys reaching out to each other. If somebody got canceled, you saw it at every level of everybody just trying to work to, to get the games in. So I hope that continues. Well. I think it will. Yeah, I think it will. I think it. anytime you have something that happened with like a pandemic or COVID, um, it, it, a lot of people, we know, all know this, you push reset and you get back to some, some virtues and some, some truths at the very, very basic level. And, 
know, anytime that you can do that and push reset and everybody really tr truly start to care more about the person next to them than their own self, we're all better off for that in, in this day and age as well. Do you feel like a 20 round draft helps junior college baseball? I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. Um, some people may say it does because it would force more players into college, but, but also you're seeing less players drafted as well. And so that's the part of it that, that I don't, I don't like. I mean, when it used to be 50 rounds, I, if, if I had my choice, I'd go back to the draft and follow, you know, I mean, <laughs> that was something back when I first started coaching, that was tremendous for the junior college game. Um, I wish that would come back. I thought 50 rounds was too many when they cut it back to 40. Um, I, I, I don't like the 20. I would go with 35 rounds is what I would do. 35 rounds. But also they've lost – they've cut a lot of those minor league teams yeah. as well. I mean, that's what so you're seeing, a record amount of signing from independent baseball, which is going to continue. That's kind of the workaround for professional baseball is, you know, either let them go to college, let them go to indie ball, sign them out of indie ball. It's going to be cheaper. Um, you know, and, and whatever you say about professional baseball, at the end it's still always about costs for them. Like no, if, if they can wiggle, if they can wiggle to cut costs and still get a good product on the field, uh, that's what they're going to do. And, and that's business and that's smart business. I mean, we would all agree if that was our business, that's how we would function and, and run it as well. And so, yeah, but I do think it, it, you know, a lot of people would say it's more kids going to college, but also I think it's less opportunities for them to be drafted. Um, and I think when you are drafted, it helps those players, whether it's in a confidence level or it helps programs out for whatever it may be. Um, so I'd like to see it go at least back to 30 um, if, 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 as well. You and I talked about the international and JCA team a little bit in Enid. Is that going to come back? Um, I know there's been a little bit of pause with everything with COVID. Is that going to make a comeback? Yeah, no, that, that's something we're looking at doing. You know, we, we, we've got a, um, a coaches association right now looking at different avenues. Um, last time we went internationally, we went to, to um, over to, to Holland and played in the honkball tournament. You know, something, you know, are we going to be able to do that again or not? Time will tell. Um, I would definitely like to be able to do some functions. Um, for one, even if it was, a, you know, basically an all-star type of weekend that happened in Omaha before the College World Series. I think that would be I had a cross-checker bring that up the other day. He came in town. We went to breakfast. He was like, hey, have you guys ever thought about doing all-star teams for every level and having them go over there and, and play in Omaha around the, the World Series, which is an intriguing idea and maybe yeah. gives a few more guys some extra looks? Yeah, I think it would be great, especially for the junior college game. If you were able to, to come up with two teams and – you know, they, they play three game series and, you know, you know, three straight days, one game a night and they're in Omaha before they start the college world series. Kids get there. The energy starts to build up. I think it would be tremendous for our kids. Um, be a great Avenue, you know, right down the road, you've got Iowa Western community college. It's right over the, right over the border, right there. You know, that, that's an option. And, you know, coach Reardon over at Iowa Western, him and I are, are, are close friends and, um, I'm the vice president of the coaching association right now. Right now, I'll move up into the president's spot this next year. Um, he'll move. He's in that. He's in that executive leadership as well, as well as Mitch Thompson down at McLennan. And so we'll all move up. Um, those are things that we're kind of talking about doing, and it's how to logistically do it and how to do it the best way for our student athletes. You know, and you tweeted something out about coaches sending a video resume. I feel like that's kind of the, the next step for the interview piece. And you have hired some some younger guys. I mean, what are you looking for for a young coach that's that's getting into the process right now, trying to, to look for jobs? What's standing out about the the young guys that you like? Yeah, a work ethic. You know that that is that is key. I mean, I mean, somebody that wants to work and wants to get after it. Um, that that's one that, that wants to do the littlest of jobs. Um, you know, I started like that. Um, I've always allowed our coaches to, to, to have a lot of say in what our program, I don't ever micromanage those things. I want to see your ideas. I want you to speak up. Um, I think character is a huge thing and integrity, which anybody would say that those are cliche answers, but I think, you know, you, you, your references and who you have, better be able to speak on those behalves if I'm going to talk to you. Because the baseball side of things is one thing, but the other side of it is, is what we were talking about earlier about who these kids are going to be in 10, 15 down, years down the road is more important. And we've got to have people that understand that, that is the big picture. Baseball is a piece of that, but this is our big picture. Those are the guys that we're looking for. 
um, th that want to learn, that want to want to get after it, um, that have ideas and are willing to speak up, not be bashful about that. And you may get told, I don't I'd agree with that. I don't think that that's right. But but want to say, I don't want yes people. You know, if, if I wanted yes people, I'd go hire a bunch of robots, you know, and robots are replaceable. People are not replaceable that have good ideas, have good intentions, that have character, have integrity. Um, and so I think it's key to have really good good references. I think it's key for you to want to learn, um, you, you're a, for you to be a lifelong learner, um, to be able to be articulated, you know, articulate who you are. To, and I think that's what you're talking about, to be able to do, do that and then them send in a video um, you know, basically a, a video of the resume and talking about themselves, it tells you a little bit of how they are going to present themselves if they have to talk to a recruit, if they have to just talk in front of the team. You know, those those are all little things that, that are huge to being successful, whether it's in baseball or even the walk of life. And so those are the things that we're really, really looking for. Um, but again, the biggest thing is just have a work ethic um, and not say that's somebody else's job willing to do whatever it's going to take for us to, 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 to be who we want to be. Well, yeah, you're out there cutting the grass. So, I mean, that's, that's same thing when I was doing it, I was out there doing everything. I'd cut the grass and it, it didn't matter. Like whatever needed to be done, you need to do it. How are you explaining the player coach relationship to those young guys when you're getting them? Well, I think, well, they got to draw the line, you know, they've got to draw the line. And a lot of times if they are young, they've, they've, they've got to draw the line in a sense of making sure there's separation, but they can't be a rear end. They can't take it overboard and, and become this rear end. I'm the head coach. Let me be the rear end. Let, let, let me, let me be it. Um, let, let me say the tough things that need to be said. And, and you as an assistant may need to do that from time to time. Um, but, but the bigger, bigger key to that is, is to let them know to draw the fine line, um, talk, get ingrained with our players, but make sure you separate them and let them have their own time in it. And I think it's just a fine line and there's, there's a learning curve that happens for those young guys. And I don't, I think it's more or less on the side of them wanting to really separate themselves and then them not taking that overboard of now you've got your players disliking that person um, because they've taken it overboard and they're a rear end and and, and, and trying to be the disciplinary. No, 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 no. Let, let me do all that. Let me handle it. Let me do it all. Um, because at the end of the day, you can dislike the head coach, but the head coach is going to make the lineup out. He's going to write the, he's, he's going to write it out. The players are going to make it out, but he's going to write it down. And so what you can't have is your players disliking the assistant coaches that, that cannot happen because if it does happen, your clubhouse, your culture, your team is going to be in the porta potty out there in the back. Hey, you talked about it, the virtual and phenomenal. I rewatched it again. Um, so if anybody hasn't watched Coach Willis's virtual talk, go back. You talked about allowing guys to make mistakes in the fall. How are you allowing that to happen on the bases with them in the fall practice, inner squads? How do you allow all that to happen? Yeah, we, we everybody's on green light in the fall. Yeah. You know, we don't put any signs on in the fall. We let them go play. Even if, even when we're playing outside competition, there is no signs coming from me. Um, and I'm not necessarily trying to figure out what you can do. I'm really trying to figure out what you can't do. Um, and I, I don't want you to have the freedom to play hard and play aggressive. And, you know, if you see us early in the fall or our first fall games, we're going to get thrown out a ton on the basis. We're going to make kinds of blunders. Um, but until you make mistakes, how do you learn from, from it? And, and I think you've got to be able to take chances and you've got to be aggressive. And, um, you know, if our goal is to spin the game out of control in one inning to win the game, we got to be aggressive. We got to take advantage of our opponent. And, um, and with, if we don't do that with the freedom to make mistakes, um, I'm never going to yell at you unless you're not being aggressive. If you, if you read a dirt ball and you're, you read it and you get thrown out, I'm going to tell you a great job. If you steal a base and you get a good jump and the guy makes a play and he throws you out, I'm like, great job. Um, but if you are passive um, and, and you're timid, then that's the time that, that we need to have a talk. Why would you be timid? Why would you be um, non-aggressive when you, we get to go play a game? Go have fun. Let them, let them go play. So that's one of the keys in the fall for us is let them go play, get after it. Um, have fun, um, and then let's, let's learn through our mistakes. And, the, and, and what better way to learn than when you make mistakes in games that don't count or inter-squads that don't count? 
Yeah, I mean, the things that stick out, 58 games, 614 runs scored, and then 157 stolen bases. I mean, yeah, so that's, it, that's a pressure offense. It is, and, and, and it's – I mean, we tell our guys every guy will bunt. You know, every guy will, will drag bunt, push bunt. Um, and 31 and sacrifice gonna... bunts, by the way, 30, 31. So, I mean, it, it's got everything in there. It's things that I like. I mean, I know guys argue with me on that, but those are the things I like looking at on the stat sheet. And, and actually, some of those were down this year, just because I thought we could we could hit a little more um, than than normal. And and but on the other side, I mean, we're going to spend thirty minutes every day at practice bunting, you know. And and if you can't bunt, you're not going to play, you know. We're going to spend thirty minutes in base running, dirt balls and steals every single day at practice. And if you can't run the bases, you're not going to play. And uh, everybody will go practice hitting, you know, hitting in their off time. But I started telling our guys, how many of you guys will go practice bunting in your off time? Like, 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 if you can bunt, you can do that. You're going to hit for a higher average. The guys are going to have to respect that you're going to bunt. You open up the infield. You have all kinds of angles to hit. Why are you not spending as much time over in the cages bunting as you're doing hitting? Um, if you really want to generate runs and you want to spend the game and you want to win, you better do these types of things. But a lot of teams have gone against that and, and are playing for the three-run inning and three-run home run. And and I, my my philosophy is I can get you I can get three runs without hitting the ball out of the park. You know, you walk me one time and we read a dirt ball and next thing you know, your pitcher now is worrying more about the guys on the bases than the guy at the dish. Now all of a sudden you leave a ball up and now we just hit a ball in the gap. And next thing you know, we've got two runs on one hit because you had an error and a walk and we got that one hit. And, yeah, you, know, you so scored more runs than you had hits, by the way. I mean, that's yeah. that's an efficient offense. That's a wonderful stat line right there. It's, you had 611 hits and you had 614 runs. It's a phenomenal that, stat line. And that's key because we also want to have strike zone awareness. We want to have the we want to have the confidence to be able to hit deep into the count, um, and we we want to we want to ambush a foot fastball. We want to get on that fastball, but also have enough you know confidence that we can hit deep into the count and realize that our goal is to create the chaos on the bases, spin the game out of control, and it takes one inning to do that because most games are won when one team scores more runs in one inning then the opposing team scores the entire game. And if we can do that, we're going to win a lot of games. And you're around one-to-one for strikeouts to walks, which that that's what I always looked at. When I we were facing an opponent, I looked at their strikeout-to-walk ratio. If they were around one-to-one, you knew that was a good offense. How are you talking to strike approach with with guys? Well, s- several things. I mean, typical things. We want to make sure that that we, we widen up, we get up on the plate a little more, we choke up to just have a little more back control. But, but also – you know, we, we want to, we really want to fight a fastball off. You know, we want to, we really want to take advantage of you're going to throw off speed pitches and try to get us out. We're going to do damage with those. And we feel like we can fight a fastball off and, and inside fastball. And, and we may fight it off and get a hit to right field. Or if you throw a fastball in the outside part of the plate and a two strike rhythm, then we're going to hit a single to right field, you know, so it, it, it all lines up with what we're trying to do. And, um, being able to teach our guys of different counts and different rhythms, we're big on rhythms in our hitting philosophy, of making sure that we're setting in the right rhythm for the right counts. And we're big on our scouting reports on what, what teams are doing in different counts and how they're pitching off their fastball versus their breaking ball. Um, are, are they going to, to you know, pitch backwards and, and fastball hitting counts? Are they going to do that? And if they are, then that gives us a leg up because we know it's going to come and, and we can sit on some of those things as well. That's a little throwback to Wanky at old LSU days, the old blast you know that's what they called their their hitting system in the old days at LSU when they were mashing the ball, the the blast system with Coach Wanky there. Yeah, I don't know everything he was doing. Um, you know, a, a lot of the rhythms, a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, when when I was at you know played at Arkansas Little Rock, Brian Reese was our my coach there, and a lot of some of that stuff came from Gary Ward at Oklahoma State, and so you know a lot of that makes a lot of sense and. and it were, it's been working for us, and we'll continue to, to use it. Um, you know, we, we had Ray Frimes, who set the batting average record over at LSU, was SEC Player of the Year. He was able to use that. And, you know, Stuart Turner at Ole Miss won the Johnny Bench Award over at Ole Miss after he played here. You know, those guys are being and, – and if you really look at it, it's it's the same thought process as a lot of those big league hitters are actually using as well. Um, and so process of, of look for the fastball, adjust to the breaking ball, I, I totally disagree with that. I, I don't I – don't, uh, if a guy's got a good fastball and a really good breaking ball, you're not making that adjustment. And so let, let's try to set ourselves into some rhythms. Let's try to be able to, to have some strike zone awareness. Let's try to sit on some certain pitches and different counts and let's see what we can do. 
as well. And then, and be willing to walk and, and be happy with that. If we get on base, because it brings up the next guy. And if we can, again, create that, that chaos and the havoc that we want to want to create by getting on base and, and running the bases correctly and efficiently, then, and, and even efficiently, it's go to first to third when the outfielders playing back. I mean, I see it all the time that guys are, are not, those outfielders are back right now in a single, like you should be on third base, but guys are stopping at second base. I mean, um, those are just things of taking advantage of what the defense can give you and try to get the extra 90 whenever you can, however you can. What else do you feel like is the next step for junior college baseball? What is the next step of junior college baseball? I, I think you're seeing, I think all levels of baseball are, have gotten a lot better. Um, and, and COVID did some of that because there's more players in college baseball, but I think coaches are a lot better. I think coaches are a lot better than they were 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think there's always been really, really good coaches. Okay. I just think that there's a lot more really, really good coaches now. Um, just because coaches are are willing to dive in and and learn and not say this is the only way. There may be a better way of doing it. Um, and and, and are, are are trying to be lifelong learners um, in that. And so I think you see that. I've seen it really over the last 10, 15 years. I thought I think the coaching is getting better and better and better and better. Um, I think, and you, you all are seeing that with the ABCA. It's, it's all, it's from top to bottom. It's from the pro level on down to the youth level. Now we have growth. There's a growth mindset everywhere, which is phenomenal. Everybody's trying to push the game forward, player development forward, the product on the field forward. It's just a great time to be in the baseball community because you feel like everybody is trying to raise everybody up and push everybody forward. It's awesome for the game. Yeah, I, and, and I mean, I've seen the attendance at the at the national convention. You know, it's just now you're getting into a situation you're turning people away. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just a scenario where where the game continues to get better, and it happens because the the players are are learning earlier. Um, and I think social media has a lot to do with that because they're, they've got instant access. They don't have to wait for Sports Center or Baseball Tonight like we did when we were kids to see what was going on. They got it instantly on their phone of this is what's going on and You've got all these other people that are sharing information, whether it's coaches, whether it's, you know, big league, you know, big league coaches, you know, third base coaches, defensive coaches, they're sharing stuff on social media that, that you and I would have never been able to get a hold of when we were kids. Um, when you and I were kids, we're, we're, we couldn't, I couldn't from going to, you know, play sick from going to school so I could stay home and watch the 13 channels I have, you know, and, and WGN's on, I get to watch the Cubs during the day, act like I'm sick at home and uh, like kids don't have to do that no more. They have to go to school. And, uh, you know, it's just something that the game continues to get better. And I think it's just because people want to learn and, and want to get better themselves. What are some final thoughts or a couple final shout outs you want to give for the season? Well, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the leadership and college baseball from, you know, with you guys at the ABCA, with how you guys how you ran the convention last year was how, how, how are you going to do this? You know, and we can't show up in person and you guys run that virtual um, convention. You know, all of us had to learn on the fly, but you all did a tremendous job of getting tremendous information in people's hands, continuing with the energy of the game, not letting it be stagnant from you guys' perspective of, 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 of what you all do for the game. I think it has to go with, with the, the administrations on the college campuses um, and, and then them figuring out a way to play the games um, because there was a lot of unknown. Were we going to play? Were we not? I think, you know, presidents, chancellors, leaders of, of campuses um, deserve a huge shout out of what they were able to bring to the table. Um, I think the governing bodies of organizations, whether it's the NCAA, the NAIA, the NJCAA. Um, Even travel baseball. I mean, they carried the load last summer for everybody. Yeah, yeah, they did. They played during all that. I mean, you can go down to high school. You can go down a little. You can go all the way through everyone. Um, but everybody had this mindset of we need to get on the field, not because we want to selfishly play baseball, but we saw how much of the benefit of the sport was for young people and just their just their every day of, of the discipline and the responsibility that they needed each, each day. Um, I think anybody that was involved in the game, from parents to youth travel teams to the players all the way through Little League to, to high school baseball to junior college, NAI, NCAA baseball, administrations, um, you know, you guys, everybody pulled together 
and we all got to have seasons. We all got to see national championships played, state championships played um, through all that. And everybody deserves a huge pat on the back for, for, for doing that for our young people. And so I, I know you feel the same way I feel. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that fraternity and that group of this baseball world. And, and don't ever take it for granted because it can be taken from us at any point. And we should learn that what, what happened last year when it got cut short. And so just, just, happy that and we get to play baseball here in the fall when when the kids show up here we go again and let's get after it and just continue to be the be the people that we're called to be in the in the jobs and the roles that we're called to be in for all of our young people that are a part of of, of each team or organization that we're a part of all right jeff always a pleasure appreciate it love you my friend i love you too man appreciate you guys yeah thank you sir Thanks so much to Jeff for coming on with me. Uh, one of the benefits of COVID is it allowed Jeff and I to reconnect through recording a couple podcasts and getting a hangout with him and his staff and Enid during the NJCA World Series. If you haven't seen his 2010 or 2021 convention talks, I would highly recommend heading over to the ABCA.org or the MyABCA app and give them a viewing. You can also dive into the podcast he and I recorded during COVID with episode 171. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh